welcome to the second Euro 2020 Sports Podcast of Ideas. I'm Jeff Kidder, Membership and Events Director at the Academy of Ideas, and I'm joined by my colleagues uh, this week, Rob Lyons, uh, Alistair Donald, and, and special guest this week is sociologist and public intellectual Frank Ferreira, who's joining us from Budapest. So welcome, everybody. Um, the tournament has got underway. We've had a week of really good football. We've had the return of fans, especially notable uh, uh, in Moscow and, and Budapest in the last few days. The issue around the knee has been rumbling on, especially here in the UK. And obviously there was the horrible, harrowing incident involving Christian Eriksen uh, uh, last weekend. So I'll just ask people for their observations of the first few days of football and events, and then we'll take it from there. Well, the first week, and obviously Jeff said it, there's been a lot of good football played. And I think that the pre-tournament list of favourites pretty much has been borne out. Italy, again, proving a very, very good team last night. And I think a lot of teams will be worried about them, not just that they're, they're scoring freely, but their track record over the past sort of couple of years has been very impressive in terms of not conceding goals. So they're going to be a very difficult team to beat, as well as uh, having the firepower up front to cause teams problems. France were um, pretty impressive the other night and probably should have won more by more against Germany. Um, and Belgium beat Russia very, very comfortably. I mean, I suppose Spain and England, slightly different story. Spain, a bit of a drab start, but Sweden are always a tough team to, to, to beat. Uh, England beat a very good team at Croatia. I didn't think it was a particularly impressive uh, game. Um, but you know, to get a result in their first game uh, was was pretty good for England. So it's all pretty nicely set up, really, at the moment. And the, the as is often the case, the group stages may well prove to be better than the knockout stages, where things are a bit more tense. But at the moment, it's um, it's looking good. The, the football's been very good. The only downside, I suppose, has been the Christian Eriksen incident. But glad to see that that things have moved on and it hasn't sort of completely disrupted the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I've, I enjoyed the week, uh, particularly because um, I have managed to watch live football, went to the stadium, watched Hungary against Portugal. The stadium was packed out. The atmosphere was fantastic. And what was very interesting is that when I left and I talked to people that I'd seen the game, nobody was interested in the result of the game. But they were all asked, what was the atmosphere like? So for most people, and the return to football the, you know, the kind of magical atmosphere that can be created by the fans was almost like the end in itself. And for them, football appeared to be almost a little bit secondary. So in that sense, I think that was really, you know, kind of quite brilliant. And I was very much struck by the fact that um, I was the only person in the stadium who kept on yelling and swearing whenever Hungary made any kind of mistakes. Uh, everybody else was so supportive that they looked, up, looked at me as if I was some kind of a, a mean-spirited individual. Very different in England, where people, where the fans very often shout at their own players or uh, express frustrations. But in East Europe, I think support means support. You genuinely support a team in a way that we no longer do within the West. Something that I, I thought was quite interesting that I learned. I was very pleased uh, watching Wales last night um, because I just thought it was quite nice that a uh, a fairly, um, you know, sort of small country 
uh, with a fairly amateur, not, not a large number of amateurs players managed to uh, sort of defeat Turkey. Uh, and I thought, you know, sort of that the, some of the players really kind of demonstrated that all you need sometimes is just two or three strong individuals like Ramsey and Bale, and they can make quite a big difference uh, in, in the general scheme of things. And looking around, I didn't think very much of France. I, I thought France wasn't as good as they were made out to be. But I was very impressed with Italy. I think it, the Italian team played like, you know, proper, like a proper team, you know, and they were very fast. They seemed to have a lot of energy. And they also seemed to have a lot of technique, uh, which uh, bodes really kind of well for them. Uh, as a Spurs fan, I was interested in the England game. And like Rob said, I was very disappointed by, uh, by the way they played. I, th I thought that they kind of lacked creativity, especially after the first 20 minutes. And, uh, and I just I kind of think that it may well be the case that unless they get their act together, they will you know, sort of not, not progress very far in this particular uh, sort of euro. Alistair, I know you were saying that, uh, as has just been said about Wales' impressive performance, you were actually quite a surprise how impressed you were with Scotland's performance. So I don't know if you want to uh, comment on that as well, <laughs> and that's the other thing. I don't know if impressed is the right word for Scotland's performance. I, I, I think it was a game of quite narrow margins um, and Scotland didn't have quite enough. And as, as Frank has just said, when you look at Wales and they have a Bale and a Ramsey who are players that have uh, spent years on the biggest of football stages and kind of have that know-how and expertise that can have a real influence on the game. And Scotland just didn't have those quality of players. I mean, they had Andy Robertson, uh, who had a very good first half at left back, but he doesn't quite uh, exert the same level of influence as two, as, as two quality players further up. So I thought Scotland, you know, I, I think they should have done better, could have done better, um, but it's, it, it, it was fairly narrow. And for the second goal, I mean, it, it was a daft place to take a shot from. Uh, the keeper was too far out of his, 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 his area. But how many times is the guy going to ping one in from 50 yards? I mean, he could try that 100 times and probably uh, not succeed <laughs> more, than, more than once. So um, it, it wasn't a great game, to be honest. I've, I've just, uh, I, I, it's interesting, Frank says about the, everything, uh, everybody was talking about the atmosphere and looking from the UK out at those scenes from Hungary the other day. It was just brilliant. I mean, you could just see what a momentous occasion it was. For us stuck in England and, and for those of us not being able to get to a game, it's just great to be able to switch on the telly and not have to suffer COVID uh, discussion endlessly. There's something there uh, to, to, to take us away from that. And even the sort of political stuff that no doubt we'll get onto, um, I think has been to some extent marginalised by the, the quality of the football. Personally, I've really enjoyed games like Spain, Sweden, just because of such a clash of uh, styles. And I, I, you know, I was just willing Sweden to hold on. I've never been a great fan of Spanish sort of tippy-tappy football um, over, over, over the past few years. Uh, and likewise with the Hungary game, you're just sort of willing them to hold on and hold out against Portugal. Unfortunately, they didn't quite manage it. And yeah, yesterday, I really enjoyed the, the Wales game as well, just because it was a game of such fierce commitment and first phases of tournaments can be boring quite a lot of the time. But I think this time it's been it's been interesting because the games have been good, but there's just a kind of full throttle commitment from lots of the teams. I mean, on the England thing, I would just say we have the usual over over hype in over here over the first performance. It's perfectly good performance against a 
you know, a solid Croatia team, although they're probably over their best. So, you know, it was okay, but it's, you know, for a couple of days, it's like we can go all the way. And then they look at the Hungary game and, and the view over here is England's likely to be playing somebody from that group. And then you look at Portugal, possibly there might be Hungary, but Portugal, Germany and France, it's, it look, then people get more pessimistic again. So I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I think they'll certainly have to do better uh, better than they've done um, so far. I mean, moving on to other things, on the issue of the knee, which is still rumbling on here, I mean, even I thought, you know, a week ago or 10 days ago, when it was obviously causing so much division and, and, and divisiveness amongst the fans, that they might back off for the duration of the tournament and think, okay, we'll leave this now and just do some other form of protest. But it's the, the, the FA and Southgate and the uh, journalists around the England camp it seems to have very much doubled down and uh, it, it's, it's very much, if you don't support taking the knee, you're a racist. And if you're not a racist, you're in need of lots and lots more education. And now Scotland have announced that they're, even though they didn't, I understand, didn't take the knee on Monday, they're going to take the knee with England tomorrow as a, 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 as a gesture as well. So, I mean, how, how do we explain that even in sport, that, that, that this gesture seems to be uh, uh, continuing and almost extending itself uh, through, the, through the tournament? Well, I think the interesting thing is, is that um, for uh, the British you know, uh, media in particular, who have an incredible influence on proceedings, taking the knee is really crucially important. And they've been extremely uh, focused and, and, and committed to ensuring that uh, knee taking becomes almost like a, a lifelong uh, sort of ritual of, of uh, football in, this, in, in England in particular. And I think that uh, the FA has really, you know, been having a lot of uh, difficulty standing up to this because it too has become very much influenced by all these uh, race relations consultants and all these people that make a living out of advising um, football teams and, and institutions about the importance of diversity. But I, I think there is something uh, wholly unappealing and uh, almost disturbing about the way that uh, this custom has been brought in. And certainly, uh, when you talk to fans from other countries, I, I, I was talking to some Portuguese fans earlier on the week. Had a had a couple of beers with them, and, and they were basically, you know, sort of surprised and, and, in, and they just couldn't understand why English football players would, would want to make this very submissive gesture and why they keep on doing it for so long, because it doesn't make all that much sense, you know, uh, 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 you know, from their perspective. But I, I am troubled by this because I think that at the end of the day, Anglo-American soft power is hegemonic in the world. And, you know, I can see a situation where that kind of influence can be exported to other societies and, and create a, a, a very uh, uh, unwholesome atmosphere, certainly at the beginning of the game. Um, yes, yeah, so it's a, it is, it is going to run and run. It's not going to go away anytime soon. I th well, I think it was interesting that the uh, the situation in Scotland, where they uh, you know said a week or so ago that they wouldn't take the knee, 
uh, in any of their games because they have this thing of standing uh, against, against racism. And then a few days later, after quite a lot of criticism, uh, they, they um, changed their minds and said they would uh, show solidarity uh, with with England, um, Nicholas Sturgeon, uh, First Minister in Scotland, uh, for the first time in, in in a while, seemed to be in agreement with something that was going on in uh, on in England, and everybody piled in and 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 said this was the correct decision to do. I mean, I, I was quite struck by the way that the explanation seems to change for the knee quite a, a lot just now. Um, so the FA statement uh, about a week ago said it was it was now about broadly about discrimination so the kind of more overt racial side of it seemed to have diminished slightly in in, in that explanation then when uh, Andy Robertson the Scotland captain uh, said about why Scotland would support it they said well this is a this is an argument against ignorance uh, which seemed you know much more directly uh, focused on on those people who oppose uh, taking the knee. So the explanations seem to seem to change quite a lot of the time. And there just seems to be this very strict uh, idea that you must obey and you must give in to this, this gesture. Uh, so one of the Scottish MSPs said it's, it's a very problematic thing if you don't uh, uh, show solidarity. So it's, it, it shows no sign of abating. Uh, I think, and and the fact that Scotland could change so quickly uh, after coming under what well, wasn't that much pressure shows just how dominant it is. I think that, that there's, there's there's a lot of sort of uh, misinformation or, or, or half baked arguments around it. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure that fans are particularly bothered about the you know whether BLM is a is a Marxist organisation or anything like that. They do, I think, dislike having politics and ritual rammed down their throats. Um, and this is very different from other political statements made in sport. When you look at the Tommy Smith stuff in the Mexico Olympics or even down to you know, Robbie Fowler pulling his shirt off and saying support the Dockers. You know, those are spontaneous individual statements of, of a political position um, or even Pogba carrying the Palestinian flag a few weeks ago. For all, you know, Whether you agree with them or not, they are fairly spontaneous and individualist uh, statements on a particular political position. This is official, uh, and if you disagree, if you don't fall in line, then you are going to be blackballed for it. And uh, that is a really, really worrying uh, tendency. And I'm, I'm quite with the fans who think that that's that is a really big problem. And you know whether or not I would boo the team or not, I do think that the idea of, of enforcing such things, enforcing right thinking on people, I think is very dangerous. I think it's interesting because it, one of the reasons why the Hungarian fans booed when you know when people took the uh, took the knee was because they almost experienced it as a kind of almost uh, a kind of quasi colonial imposition upon them. Where, where they basically being told that this is how we behave in a civilized, educated society, unlike you savages in East Europe. And I think that the reaction was, was, was interesting because it was entirely spontaneous. I don't think it was pre-planned. Uh, and certainly the unanimity of the crowd, you know, it was entirely, you know, almost everybody kind of getting stuck in was really quite uh, interesting. I thought it was very, you know, quite an important statement that some of the Hungarian football players made when they went, uh, you know, kind of they tapped their shoulders and on their soldiers, there was this 
little emblem saying kick out racism, making, making it very, very clear that they were against racism, but they were not prepared to, to partake in this gesture. Uh, and I think that kind of reaction has, is, you know, sort of um, resonated quite incredibly throughout, you know, throughout other parts of Europe, because, just because it was such a, a kind of loud rejection of this, a unique rejection of the ritual. Yeah, I mean, there's pretty, on the negative side, there's people I know here and I've seen saying in relation to Moscow um, that where there were also very loud boos. They're saying, well, we don't support taking the knee in the UK, but M Moscow in the East is different. So maybe they need it over there. And you have uh, people in the UK who would normally not go in for these gestures saying that because it's Moscow and because those fans have got a different tradition or whatever. Maybe it's necessary over there, which was a more uh, sort of worrying side of people looking at people from the East slightly differently. I just wanted to comment as well, going back to the Christian Eriksen thing. You know, obviously it's completely shocking that you're watching a football game one minute and then a guy's getting CPR on the pitch. Um, but one of the more distasteful things of this week was watching or seeing on social media anti-vaxxers then trying to use this to suggest that, you know, this is, you know, the vaccines are hurting people's hearts and this is the inevitable consequence. And then for the, you know, the, his team doctors to have to come out and say, no, no, actually, he's never had a vaccine. But it, it just says something about the, 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 the state of, uh, of our politics at the moment, that people are taking up these positions around COVID or anything else, and then just reading everything, anything that, that suits their argument into it. Which is, I just think it's quite, quite worrying that you know you can't just take a step back from those things and say this has got nothing to do with anything and it's got nothing to do with your particular political position either. Okay, well, mo moving on to the to the week ahead, we've got England against Scotland tomorrow night. Obviously, uh, very, very big match at Wembley. Um, the England fan zone, which would normally full of, be full of the Tartan Army and the England fans, is, as I understand it, key workers only. Um, and whilst it's great to have key workers there, it's obviously with a slightly different atmosphere than you normally have at these things. Um, so we've got that coming up. Uh, Frank's talking about Hungary and France. So what, what are you all looking forward to over the, uh, over the, uh, over the coming week for the rest of the group stages? Well, I'm looking forward to the England-Scotland match, you know, sort of, and I cannot help. Uh, usually I support small nations against big ones. But in this case, given the... Uh, the fact that if Scotland beats England, it will be a real boost to, to the SNP. I hope that Scot <laughs> Scotland gets a Scotland gets a really big trashing, which may or may not happen, given the fact that uh, the uh, the proliferation of goals in in these kind of global competitions from England are conspicuously rare. Uh, I'm I am looking forward. Uh, I'm going on Saturday to see the the France game with Hungary, which, you know, from, a, from the point of view of objectivity, I have to say Hungary has got nil chance of, of, of uh, getting a result. But I think the, the game should be really quite fascinating, should be quite, quite interesting. And I've decided that in, in the rest, rest of the time that I've got left, I'm going to be watching uh, two of the teams that I really, really love. One is Spain, unlike uh, Alistair. I love that, that, kind of, that kind of football. And I think that they keep on producing really good football all the time. I also like Belgium. You know, I think that, you know, Belgium is a, is a symbol to me of a 
really small society, relatively small society that continues to produce some of the finest football players in the world. There's, to me, there is, at the moment, there's no one like Kevin De Bruyne in terms of his uh, playmaking abilities and the uh, individual impact that he's, he's got on the field. So I'm looking at those two teams from a football point of view rather than from, a, from the point of, view of my heart or the point of view of my politics. Okay. Uh, uh, Alistair? Um, well, obviously looking forward to the uh, England-Scotland game, uh, hoping for a slightly different outcome than that, <laughs> uh, but um, not surprisingly. Um, I, I think it's, uh, I, I mean, speak, I've, I've been up there for uh, in the last couple of weeks and uh, there's quite a lot of excitement uh, in, a, in advance of the game. It's a real shame that... Um, there's no attempt to accommodate people coming down. I mean, reading some of the reports yesterday of men in kilts assembling at train stations about to uh, get on trains to come uh, south. It sounds like there's going to be about 20,000 fans in London, and I, I can't imagine that more than a couple of thousand of them will be able to uh, find their way into the ground. So there'll be lots of people around, but expelled from the traditional areas where you'd gather is, 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 is just a real shame. On the SNP point, uh, uh, there's there's an annoying habit amongst some unionists just now to complain about anglophobia in Scotland and uh, hatred uh, hatred of, of that Scottish people have of, of of England and I just think it's it's slightly overdone. I mean the the uh, there was a bar in Falkirk I think the other day that uh, closed that the owners closed the bar at the end of the night or or before the end of the night because people were singing uh, uh, songs that were anti English. And I mean, that's gone on forever. I mean, it's, it's not something that's, that's, that's kind of SNP influenced or whatever. So I, th I think uh, some of the unionists uh, need to just calm down a bit and, and stop making, uh, because they're, the point they make is, is that the SNP introduced the hate bill, the hate crime bill. And, and, and so uh, these, these songs would fall foul of those measures, which is yeah, possibly true and that they, that they might have a point. But uh, Pointing the finger at the other side doesn't necessarily help the situation. I suppose that in ter in terms of the game, other games I'm looking forward to. I I, I quite liked Holland the other night. I thought they were they were um, not didn't look tremendously good defensively, but they were very exciting going forward. And I think Wijnaldum's a great player and seems to have a, a slightly more freer ro role behind the the uh, you know just behind the, the striker. So I I think they're an interesting side and hoping they get through and, and get further. Uh, Italy. Um, obviously through I'm not as convinced as everyone else that they were so fantastic in, 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 in the first game I mean they were very good don't get me wrong but I, I, I think they were up against slightly weaker opposition and didn't really uh, get tested out so it'll be interesting to see in the week ahead when they go forward and, and, and meet a bigger team how, how they deal with that I'm hoping they do well because I really like Italy but uh, that remains to be seen Rob? Yeah, I, I, I mean, one of the, the peculiarities of this tournament is that a lot of the big teams are starting out playing at home. So it'll be interesting to see how well they perform once they start travelling to other places. Um, and obviously, it, uh, hopefully Wales is a bit more of a challenge than uh, the, the other teams that Italy have faced. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on there. Um, but yes, England and Scotland is obviously uh, the, the big one, really. Uh, and I'm in the mirror image position to Alistair. Alistair is a Scotsman living in England and I'm the Englishman living in Scotland. So, um, and I've had previous experience of this um, in the 90s. Um, one of the happiest days of my life was 
watching the England-Scotland game in Euro 96 in a bar in Edinburgh and being with one other English person uh, and Gascoigne's goal was a joy. Um, but then having friends round for the uh, Euros playoff in, was it 99 or 2000? Um, England won in, at Hamden 2-0 and then lost to, to Scotland at Wembley. And I had loads of people around and at the end of it, I just felt shamefaced, kind of like, yes, we got away with murder there. That, you know, it, Scotland didn't at least take it into extra time. So be interesting to see. Um, I, I'm, with all the restrictions on pubs and whatever, it'd be, I think I'll end up watching it at home and see and get a couple of mates to come around to watch it with me. So it might have perhaps the big match atmosphere of of previous uh, encounters. But I'm, I'm really, I, I do hope Scotland do well, um, actually, in this tournament. I just hope that they um, scrape through in third place by beating Croatia in the final game and uh, lose to England. But, you know, there you go. Yeah, I think it's difficult for Scotland. As Alistair, they haven't had the recent tournament experience and in contradistinction to Wales, I think it showed quite a lot. And unless they can get that very quickly against either England or Croatia, because, I mean, the Czechs were decent, but they weren't exactly world beaters. So, um, so that was that. I mean, as somebody, and, and Robert's guess as well, people waited all our lives for England to win a tournament. It doesn't quite feel that this will necessarily, the, the hype is there, in a slightly understated way, but it doesn't. I don't necessarily think this will be the one. But it is, as we said last week when we discussed it, it's a fairly open tournament. I mean, it's probably between the... I don't quite see a Greece 2004, but of the bigger teams, it is quite open from Belgium, France, Italy, um, and, and a few others. So there is a lot... You know, watching a lot of these matches as a neutral... Uh, there's a lot to play for and a lot that's unpredictable. So it should be a very good week for the, for, you know, for the rest of the group stages and then, then on to the, uh, on, on to the quarterfinals. So I think we'll probably leave it there for now. So thank you all for your time and for uh, uh, your very interesting contributions to the sports podcast today. And we'll be back next week to review the group stages. So thank you all very much. Bye.